0: Take your Bible, if you have it with you, and find your place at Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 9 down through verse 17. We are nearing the conclusion of this series of messages about the gospel, and there's just one more message after today, and today I want to talk with you about what may be the most important thing I'll say to you in this entire series, and it's a challenge to you. I know it's going to be convicting because it's convicting to me, but it's a challenge uh, to each of us. Romans chapter 10, begin reading, uh, following along with me in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray together as we begin today. Father, you said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, specifically the word of the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll cause faith to arise in our hearts today. Maybe there's someone listening to my voice that doesn't know Christ, doesn't know what it means to have the forgiveness of sin. They don't have any peace. There's joy that's absent from their lives. They don't have a sense of security about the present or the future. Lord, it just seems as if they're bouncing around in life. I pray today that as they hear the gospel, that you'll cause faith to arise in their hearts. But Lord, may that faith arise in all of our hearts, and may we recognize that the gospel, this good news, is something that we must, we absolutely must share with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mary and I were driving back yesterday from where we had been down in Kentucky, and we were just basically riding in the car, the radio was playing, so there wasn't a lot of conversation. but. As we were moving along, suddenly Mary just says uh, to me, Oh, I've got good news. Oh, I've got good news. Now, you should know that I love to hear good news. I hear enough bad news. You hear enough bad news. Turn on the television. Open up the newspaper if you still read that. Look online. You can find all the bad news you want. It's everywhere all the time. So when somebody says, oh, I've got good news, well, I want to hear. So I want to hear what this good news is. And she says to me, well, we have paid off our new washer and dryer early. (laughs) That's a good thing. About a year ago, well, probably nine months ago or so, um, we had the repairman out, and he said, I've done all I can do to these machines. (laughs) The next time they break down, you just need to repair them. So, seven or eight months ago, uh, we went down to a store and we purchased a new washer and dryer, one of those stackable kind because it has to go in a particular area. And uh, not the top of the line, but just a, a good basic washing machine and dryer. And it offered 12 months, same as cash. I like using somebody else's money rather than mine. Don't you? the only thing is that if you go one day past that 12 months all of that interest from that year gets credited to your account and now you've got the last year's interest plus whatever interest is coming and so mary was excited she'd been paying extra money on this washing machine and dryer and she had gotten it paid off within seven or eight months or so of having it purchased so there would be no interest charged that's good news Anytime somebody tells me there's no interest charged, that's good news. Uh, Being a pastor, I've had uh, couples who've come to me when they were, uh, you know, going to get married, and they'd show up. uh, A few of them have shown up at our doorstep. Some of them here at the church, and they say, "Oh, preacher, we want to tell you something. We want to tell you something. What what you want to tell me? What you want to tell me? We just got engaged." And inevitably, the young woman will always hold up her hand. You know, you got this big old diamond ring, and you're wondering where this guy got the money for that diamond ring. Or is it Kubrick zirconia? You know, you're wondering all of those things, but you're you're happy for them. You're so excited for them. It's fun to hear good news, isn't it? Uh, I love it uh, when some of our couples have been and they said, uh, We're expecting. Of course, I always had to play along, expecting what? And, uh, you know, we're expecting a, a baby, our first baby. Oh, that's wonderful. When are you due? And how are you feeling? And have you already started picking out names? And do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Oh, no, it's too early to know those things yet. But it's good news. I love good news. I've been with some of you through the years when you received good news from the doctor. When the doctor said to you the test results all came back normal, you weren't normal necessarily but all your test results came back normal and you you were well and you were healthy and it was good news and you might not have jumped up and down at that very moment but I could see you inside jumping up and down because you got good news there's nothing better than hearing good news especially in a world where there is so much bad news when you think of that little phrase good news that is exactly what the word gospel means it literally means good news. And that's an incredible thing. Because what you might not know about the word gospel, good news, is that before it was used as a religious term, it was a political term. There was an emperor, for instance, in Rome, who would have news, good news, that he wanted to disseminate amongst the subjects of his kingdom. And so he, he would authorize, he would commission couriers who would go to the various villages and hamlets and cities, and they would, on his behalf, they would publish this good news. Now, you understand, they didn't have internet, they didn't have radio, they didn't have television, they didn't have modern means of communication. So you had to commission individuals who would go to these various places, and they would publish this good news on behalf of the emperor. Most of the time, that good news consisted of things like military successes, That we've been at battle over in such and such place and we have conquered that area and we now control that territory and our soldiers are coming home. Something like that. Or it would be good news about a royal marriage. I mean, after all, the people want to know that there's somebody coming behind the present emperor who's going to continue the rule of this emperor. And so they talk about the royal marriage and they pronounce that good news throughout the kingdom or even a royal birth. Uh, that would come about. And so these couriers' responsibility was to travel to these different places and carry this good news. Sometimes the good news was written on parchment. Uh, Sometimes it was engraven in stone or on pillars. And ultimately, this good news was to unify the people around this political figure who could promote and protect them. So the people would come together to hear the courier announce this good news so that all the people could rejoice together and be glad together with the emperor who has sent this good news. And so before the word gospel was picked up and became a religious term that we utilize today, it was first a a political term. But it's very much the same today as it was in those days. The good news that we announce has been committed to our trust. We are the couriers of that good news, and we are to be taking that good news everywhere we go. And when we talk about the good news in the religious sense of the word, not the political sense, but in the religious sense of the word, we're, we're talking about the story of Jesus. We're talking about the biography of Jesus Christ. We're talking about his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and that the forgiveness of sins can be ours by faith in Jesus alone. It's about announcing who he is, and what he did, and what he's doing today. It's about the story of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the way the word gospel is used. Most frequently today, especially in the the Bible, that's the way the word is used, couriers, carrying the good news of the story of Jesus and announcing that story to other people and that they can become involved in this story with Jesus Christ and through uh, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. In your New Testament, more than 125 times, you find the word gospel. In one form or another, you find the word gospel. At least 23 of those times are in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, those four Gospels that outline for us the unfolding story of Jesus. But then, after the story of Jesus in those four Gospels, you find it a hundred more times, a hundred plus more times uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and take a guess for a moment who you think used the word gospel more than any other person in the New Testament? Don't answer out loud. Just just think to yourself, who probably used the term gospel more than any other person in the New Testament? He's also the one who wrote the largest number, the most number of letters or books in the New Testament, and his name is Paul. As a matter of fact, we, we often refer to Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles, and he is that. But we we could literally say that the Apostle Paul is the Apostle of good news. Because everywhere he went, he was God's courier carrying the good news that Jesus saves that Jesus forgives, that Jesus gives life, that Jesus gives life eternal, that Jesus brings you into another kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, into his kingdom. And it's offered to everyone, not to just the Jews, it's offered to the Gentiles. And the apostle Paul traveled all over that Middle Eastern world, all over that Middle Eastern world, carrying, currying that message of the gospel. Now, sometimes we use the word gospel in a little different way i've heard people tell a story and then they'll say and that's the gospel truth and they're using the word gospel as a comparison and this is what they're saying is the gospel is true and what i'm telling you is true they parallel each other they're both true but that's not really a correct use of the word gospel the word the word gospel means good news don't you like good news you glad it's good news today The gospel is good news, and the good news is about Jesus. It's the biography of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's the reality that through Jesus Christ, every person, man, woman, boy, and girl, can be made right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ. Your sins can be forgiven. God will give you the gift of eternal life. He'll give you meaning and purpose in this life, and he'll promise you a life with him in eternity in a place we call what? Heaven. It's an incredible place to even think about. And all of that comes through the story of Jesus. And we get the incredible privilege to be the couriers of that message everywhere we go. And that's what we want to talk about today the responsibility that you and I have to be good couriers of the message of the gospel. But before I do that, I've got to take you to the book of Romans. And I've got to give you a little bit of a a lesson here so that you'll understand what's going on in the verses I read to you a few moments ago so you can see how you fit into this story and what is your responsibility, what it is that God wants you to do. So are you ready, class? Are you ready to go with me? Say amen. I'm ready to go with you. I understand. I am a courier of the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus and I'm supposed to be announcing that to other people. I get it. I get it. I get it. So let's, let's take a moment and let's back up and let's make sure we get the, the gist of what's happening in the book of Romans. When, when you look at the book of Romans, if you, if you begin reading in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you, you probably are going to get depressed because in those three chapters, you are told what's really wrong with all of us, every one of us. All of us, it says, are sinners. We all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us, left to ourselves, are on a downward spiral that could lead to the ultimate, the most awful depravity you can possibly imagine, and that's what we are. There are no exceptions. All men fit in that category. All women fit in that category. We are born this way. We have this propensity toward evil. And the Apostle Paul tells us about it in those opening three chapters. When you get to chapter 4, he tells us the remedy for it. The remedy is not the law of Moses. The remedy is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. What was the purpose of that? He was taking the penalty of our sins, the punishment of our sins on himself. And Jesus was vicariously in our stead, taking our place, suffering where we rightfully should suffer, paying for what we rightfully should pay. Jesus was taking it on himself. And through Jesus Christ, we can be made right with God. You are a sinner, but you can be made right with God through Jesus and only through Jesus Christ. When you get to chapters 5 and 6... He's telling you what are the benefits, what are the things that accrue to you when you believe in Jesus. You're a sinner in chapters 1 to 3, how to get right with God in chapter 4, chapters 5 and 6. When you believe in Jesus, this is what happens. One of the things that happens, for instance, is God sets you free from bondage to sin. People sometimes say, well, I just can't quit this, or I just can't stop that. Well, it may be you're struggling with it. We don't deny that reality. There, there may be a pattern that's hard to break. We don't deny that reality. But the fact of the matter is, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of sin, your slavery to sin has been broken. That's one of the benefits. That's one of the blessings. And so in chapters 5 and 7, he's explaining to us, this is the, these are the things that happen, at least some of the things that happen to you because you believe in Jesus Christ, such that when you get to chapter 8, he tells you an incredible truth. Here's this incredible truth. That when you believed on Jesus, remember when you were a sinner way back over here? And in chapter 4, you put your faith in Jesus and were declared right with God through the sacrifice of Christ. And now all of these incredible things have, have taken place in your life and are taking place in your life. One of those things is that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So take good care of those temples now, okay? You are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit and things that you didn't think you could do you never thought you'd be able to do the Holy Spirit enables you to do he empowers you to do what you cannot do on your own God places the Holy Spirit within you to enable you to do he prays on your behalf he secures you as his own nothing it says can separate you from the love of God nothing can separate you the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the security that you are a child of the living God. And his presence there means nothing can ever take you out of the Father's hand or out of Christ's hand. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. And so there's this unfolding story in these opening chapters. It's just incredible. I mean, we're sinners The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, to be forgiven is through Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, these things happen to us, and one of those incredible ones is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, seals us as God's own, and empowers us and enables us to live as God would have us to live as we depend on him, and secures us that we are his forever. So when you get to the end of those first eight chapters, there's a question that arises. Remember, he's writing to the Romans. He's not been to Rome yet. He's writing to the Romans. And in Rome, there are Gentiles who are now Christians, and there are Jews. And some of the Jews are asking the question, well, I don't quite get it. It doesn't quite make sense to me. If God turned away from Israel, which he did, he set them aside. If God turned away from Israel, Are Christians really that secure I mean after all you just told me that the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life makes me secure and nothing can separate me from the love of God but think about Israel with me for a moment God set aside Israel in order to pursue the Gentile nations how does that all play out Paul you're gonna have to explain this to me and so he does chapters 9 10 And 11, sometime when you're reading through those three chapters, 14 times in those three chapters, he uses the word Israel or Israelite. You know why? He's talking about the nation of Israel. Here's what he does. In chapter 9, he looks at Israel in the past. In chapter 10, he looks at at Israel in the present. And in chapter 11, he looks at Israel in the future. What's going to happen to them? Think about it. In the past... He says Israel was God's chosen nation. He sovereignly chose Israel to be his people, to be the people for whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be brought into this world. He gave to them covenants. He gave to them his law. He gave to them a temple. He gave to them all of these promises that were made to to the people of Israel. God chose Israel. Why didn't God choose this nation or that nation or this nation? Because God is sovereign. And God has the right to make that kind of choice. And God chose Israel to be his vehicle. The problem is this. Israel tried to get right with God by keeping the law. And they could never be right with God. Otherwise, they wouldn't have needed sacrifices. On and on and on and on. They could never get fully right with God. And when Paul announced and when it became the message that anyone, Jew or Gentile, can be right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus and by believing on Jesus? Well, the Jews didn't like that. They didn't like that. They wanted it to be exclusively theirs, and they wanted Gentiles to have to convert to the ways of Judaism in order for them to be right with God. And so God had to set them aside for a time And now, in chapter 10, what is God doing with Israel? He's calling individuals, Gentiles and Jews alike, to come to him personally, by faith, and put their faith in him, knowing, chapter 11, that one day, God's going to fulfill all of those previous promises, all of those covenants, all of the things he said he would do for them, God's going to fulfill them. Look over at chapter 11 for a moment. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 25. Verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, when that fullness comes in, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written all Israel will be saved. Are you with me so far, class? Are you with me so far? So so you got these opening chapters. You got one to three. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All all people are sinners. Chapter four, we get right with God by believing on Jesus Christ and accepting his sacrifice as payment for our sins. Chapters five and six, he... Chapters 5 and 6, he tells us what accrues to us as a result of putting our faith in Jesus. What are the blessings and the benefits that come to us? Chapter 8, he tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But what about Israel? God set them aside. Why did God set them aside? Because they refused to believe in Jesus. And for the time being, for the time being in the present... God is calling people out of every nation, both Jews and Gentiles, to come to his son, Jesus Christ, and believe on Jesus Christ. But one day, as surely as God set Israel aside, God will come back and fulfill all of those promises, all of those covenants, and all of those commitments, and all Israel will be saved. Do you get it? Do you get it? So so Paul is answering this question. So we're in chapter 10. We're right in the middle of this thing. We're right in the middle of this thing. And and Paul in chapter 10 is saying the gospel, the good news, is not just for the Jew. The good news is for all men everywhere, Jew and Gentile. And Jew and Gentile alike have to come to Jesus, and they have to call on Jesus to be their Savior. So you come back to the passage where we were reading a few minutes ago, in Romans chapter 10. Notice it again. He says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now stop and think about this. He's thinking about the Jewish nation as a whole. What was the one thing the Jews uh, didn't want to do? They didn't want to acknowledge that Jesus was who he said he was. Now let me stop here for a moment. Are you still with me, class? You still with me? The early church, the beginning of the church, was almost exclusively Jewish. But as the gospel began to be spread more and more gentiles were included and the more gentiles were included the less the nation of israel liked it it became a stumbling block and the apostle paul here in chapter 10 says well that was god's purpose until the time of the gentiles comes in the offer of salvation is to every man it's equal for everybody you don't have to convert to judaism You come to the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross of Calvary and you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus saves you from your sins and Jesus makes you a child of God and Jesus gives you eternal life. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, everybody comes the same way. And the Jews didn't like that. We were God's chosen people. I mean, we were the ones elected by God. We're not coming the way everybody else comes and God set them aside as a nation. He's gonna come back to them going to fulfill all those promises and all those covenants and so forth to them in the future. And right now he's calling everybody. And the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. You'll never believe on somebody. You'll never believe on Jesus if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and he says you'll be saved. And how many people are able to receive this offer. Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever. I love that word. Whoever. I'm glad to be able to tell you, whoever in this room, whoever's watching this service live or by television, whoever, whoever is included. Look at chapter 10, verse 12. He goes on. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to the Jew only, the Gentile only. No. To who? To all. To all who call on him. Verse 13, for whoever, I love that word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, for a time the nation of Israel has been set aside. There's a day when Israel and all the promises and covenants God will fulfill. Right now, he's calling individuals out of every nation, Jew and Gentile, you come to Jesus, you call on Jesus, you trust in Jesus, and you're saved by Jesus And Jesus' death and his resurrection alone, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what your upbringing, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Somebody says, well, I want more ways than that. Well, you want more than what Jesus said was available. Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody, no one comes to the Father but by me. It's the only way to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, or excuse me, Paul comes and announces, he comes as the courier of this message. And he says, listen, I've been given this message to announce to you this good news. Salvation is for anyone through Jesus Christ if you'll only receive it for yourself. Well, now how are you going to receive a message like that? So he launches into some logic some logic verse 14 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed now if you if you don't believe that there was a jesus that there is a jesus that jesus did what he said he did you'd never call on him right right i mean you're not going to call on me to save you if you don't believe that i talking about dave lemming died for your sins was buried and rose again do you do any of you believe that if you do they got medicine for that too Nobody believes that. That's why nobody comes by and says, David, would you save me? How do you call on him in whom you do not believe? And how do you believe, he says, in whom you have not heard? Hey, you can't believe in somebody or something that you've not heard about, right? I mean, if there's some wonderful product out there, that you've never heard about you can't believe in what it can do so you don't call to get it sent to your house do you see the logic this, this is true for the Jew it's true for the Gentile how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not hear, heard and how shall they hear without a preacher now wait a minute the, the word here is caruso He's not talking about what I'm doing today. He's not talking about what I do every Sunday. He's talking about somebody who simply announces the message. What were they called in the political world? They were called couriers. And what do couriers do? They go to the various parts of the kingdom and they stop in the villages and the hamlets and the cities and they, what, what they do? They announce the good news. How can you call on somebody in whom you don't believe? And how can you believe in somebody uh, if you've never heard of that person? And how will they ever be able to hear unless there is somebody who's willing to curry the message to them? Somebody that's willing to announce the message to them. And he goes on. And how shall they preach? That is, curry this message, announce this message, unless they are sent. It's the word for apostle. gives us the word apostle, unless they are commissioned to go. Oh, wait a minute. wait, Wait a minute. I got some good news for you too. Here's the good news. The commission has already happened. Do you know what the commission is? You know where the commission is? It's found in the gospel of Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's it's found in the Gospel of Mark. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Who is he talking to? He's talking to those disciples, but what did he tell the disciples to do? Teach them to observe how many things? All things. They're to teach them to keep doing the same thing they were told to do by Jesus. They were commissioned to do by Jesus. In other words, every person who believes on Jesus Christ is supposed to be, and is, whether they're a good one or not, a courier of the gospel of Jesus Christ announcing along the avenues of your network of friends and people announcing the good news. Jesus was the sinless son of God. He died for your sins and paid the penalty of all mankind's sin. He rose again. And if you'll come and believe in him, your sins can be forgiven. You can become a child of the living God. You'll have the presence of the Holy Spirit that seals you and keeps you and holds you. Listen, I'm not holding on to God. Hope, hopefully not going to let go. God's holding on to me. Amen. <laughs> That's great news. And then he promises that when I die, he says, I'm going to resurrect your body anyway. I'm going to give you a brand new glorified body. It'll look a lot like this one. This one's pretty close to glorified as it is. But it'll be a brand new glorified body. I don't know why y'all laugh when I say those kind of things. It sort of hurts. We are all couriers Of this message and why is it so important that we be couriers of the message look at verse 17 so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God here he's talking about the gospel by hearing the gospel that's what he's talking about here if people hear the gospel faith arises within them God gives birth to faith within them by way of hearing the gospel but how can they call on somebody in whom they don't believe? And how can they believe in somebody of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear unless there are couriers who are announcing the message? And how can there be couriers announcing the message unless they are sent? And you've already been sent. Jesus has already commissioned you and every other one of us who names the name of Jesus. Everybody is to be a courier of the good news of Jesus. Some people have great influence. They're famous. They have lots of influence over lots of people. And you use that influence for the purpose of announcing the gospel. Others are like me. They don't have so much influence. But what influence you have, even if it's in your own family and amongst your closest friends, you use that influence as a courier of the gospel to announce the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our task. This is good news. This is good news that God has given to us, and we don't keep it to ourselves. We've been commissioned to go announce it so that people can hear and believe and call on Jesus just like we have called on Jesus, and Jesus has saved us. You, my friends, are the couriers of this message. That's the logic of this passage. Yes, he's speaking first to the Jews. You know, they can't call on somebody in whom they don't believe, and they can't believe in somebody of whom they have not heard, and they can't hear unless somebody tells them. the, The message is announced, and for the message to be announced, somebody has to be sent. Somebody has to go and tell them. But it's also for the Gentiles, and that's the reality for every single one of us. That's the reality for all of us. We are the courage. You say, What's my place in this life? Your place in this life is to be a courier of the good news of Jesus Christ. There's three things I want to just quickly, briefly point out to you. I want you, first of all, to see the divine in this logic. I want you to see the divine in this logic. Did you notice that the commission comes from God and it leads to people calling on God? The commission comes from God to every one of us that leads to people calling on God. In other words, this process that we're talking about isn't something that we dream up or that we've dreamed up. This process we're talking about is God's divine plan. This is how he does it. This is the work that he does. Our commission comes from God and leads people to call on God. It begins with him and it culminates with him. The fact of the matter is that he's the initiator. We're simply the responders. He saw us when we weren't seeking him. He's done everything to bring us into a right relationship with him when we could do nothing ourselves to have a right relationship with him. I mean, this all starts with God and it ends with God. Why? Because all praise goes to God. You know, you... you You decide, I'm going to be a courier of the gospel. I'm going to carry the good news, and I'm going to announce it as one that has been sent by Jesus Christ. I'm here on official business to announce to you the good news of the emperor of all emperors, of the king of all kings, of the God of all gods. I'm glad to be able to tell you the story of Jesus and the biography of Jesus and what that means to you and how it can change your life. And you start announcing it. But all of that starts with God and it ends with God. God commissions it and people also, don't, listen, they don't call on you to be saved. They don't come to you and say, could you save me? By the way, if they do, you might, you know, want to reconsider the way you're sharing the message <laughs> they're looking the wrong direction. You're not the, you're not the savior, but what a glorious privilege it is that we get to be a part of God's divine plan. The second thing I want you to see, I want you to see the divine, but I want you to understand rejection. People aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting the message, the good news, and they have a right to do that, but they're rejecting the good news that you are currying to them. You continue in this passage where we haven't read, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 10, the the question comes up, okay, okay, still, I want to understand maybe israel didn't hear are you with me maybe israel didn't hear and that's the reason god has set them aside for the time maybe they didn't hear i mean if you got to hear in order for there to be faith maybe they just didn't hear and paul answers the question verse 18 but i say have they not heard yes indeed and he goes on to quote an Old Testament passage. The problem isn't that they didn't hear. Then he asks the question, well, maybe they didn't understand it. Maybe they heard it, but they didn't understand it. Because you know, you, you know, ladies, you're married. You can say things to your husband and he can hear it, but he doesn't understand it, right? 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 We, we could turn that around. I'm sure there's some other situations where men say something to their wives and their wives hear it, but they don't understand it. So, so somebody says, <laughs> I would have been afraid to say amen at that point. <laughs> but suppose, suppose they, they heard it, but they just didn't understand it. In verse 19, so Paul says, but I say, did Israel not know? And the obvious answer is, oh, yes, they knew. And he goes on to quote from two or three different Old Testament passages. Oh, yes, they knew. They heard it, and they knew it. They understood it. They just didn't like it. And he says, here's the real essence of unbelief. Verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people now I know this is a word you don't hear much around your house when one of your loved ones hears and understands but doesn't do I know you never say you're just stubborn but that's what he's saying the problem was not that Israel didn't hear or that they didn't understand and that's the reason God set them aside no they heard and they understood they just didn't like what they heard and understood And their hearts were filled with with obstinacy. Their hearts were filled with stubbornness. And their hearts were filled with rebellion. Can I tell you something? When you become a courier of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's inevitable that people are going to at times turn down that message. But it's not rejection of you. It is that they have set their hearts against God. I uh, talked to two boys out here on the parking lot. Uh, They had skateboards under their arms, and for all of you insurance people, I'm not going to ask them to leave the parking lot. We're not going to put a fence around the church and say "keep out." For all of you security people, we're not going to lock down all the doors where nobody can get in, so we can all be—you know—we can all just be be safe. This is about reaching people. This is about announcing the message. Actually, if I had thought about it, I might have offered to ride that skateboard and show them how to really use it. There again, I, I don't understand the response. <laughs> Obviously, there's not a lot of confidence in that. But I, I stood out there with those two boys. I introduced myself. Glad you're here. What you got? I got a skateboard. Oh, man, that's cool. Is it one of the new ones? Yeah, It's got those wheels. I never had wheels like that. I mean, when I had a skateboard as a kid, you took a skate apart and you nailed it to, to a board. <laughs> And that was your skateboard. I mean, all these skateboards are cool things now. You got curves on them, and all you do all this stuff. Oh, I man, that's great! Can I can I ask you guys a question? Y'all ever heard about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? And I told them the story about Jesus. They heard. I believe they understood, but they said no. They said no to Jesus. I didn't feel rejected because God has to deal with a person's heart. Their hearts are hardened toward God. Their hearts are rebellious toward God. Their hearts are stubborn toward God. That's not my problem. My responsibility is to be a sower of the seed and just keep sowing the seed. Two times earlier this year, I, I, I led two people to Jesus Christ. Two people asked Jesus to be their Savior. But you just keep sowing the seed. You sow, just, I'm a courier of the good news. And I understand rejection. Now, if I'm not living right and I'm offensive and tactless when it comes to presenting the gospel, that may have something to do with the reason why somebody rejects it. But more often than not, it's the same reason for the Jews as it is for them. They're just stubborn, unbelieving, and rebellious. And they refuse to accept the message. I heard it. I understood what you said. But I'm just I'm not going to call on Jesus. That's not our problem. Our problem is what? What is our problem? Hey, listen, when the emperor had good news, he got his couriers, he gave them the message, he wrote it down sometimes on parchment or, or chiseled it into stone or maybe on a pillar, they took it out to these hamlets and these villages and these cities, and they announced the news. If you don't come, hear the news. If you don't want to hear the news, that's your problem. That's something in your own heart. But there's a lot of people who want to hear the news a lot of people who want to gather around and they want to hear somebody tell them something other than the bad news. See the divine in this logic? Understand the rejection isn't of you. It's from rebellious, stubborn-hearted people who haven't yet been willing to submit themselves to come to Jesus as Savior. But more than anything else, I want you to see that we have to communicate the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the gospel, by the word of God. We've got to keep telling the gospel. That is our role. That is our task. That is our reason for being here. You thought you were here to, to, to find a retirement. You thought you were here to, to make good money. You thought you were here to have a big house and a nice car. You thought you were here to be able to take care of your kids. All of those things can be good in and of themselves. But your life should matter for something more than that. Hey, I've been in the ministry 42 years. I've been to the funeral home when the family was in all-out war over what was left behind by the deceased. I've heard them yelling at each other. I've heard the a- angry invectives and cursing. I've, listen, I've seen it on their faces and in their body motions. I've seen it. Surely, life is about something more than comfort and convenience and opulence. Surely, you want your life to matter for something more than that. How can my life matter more? How can my life make a difference, not just for time, but for eternity? By getting involved as a courier of Jesus Christ and announcing the good news. Your responsibility isn't how they respond. Your responsibility is to keep sowing the seed of the gospel everywhere you go. Just keep telling people the good news again and again and again. And you know what? Sometimes those people that rejected it the first time and maybe the second and the eighth and the tenth, at some point it breaks through. Where were you when it broke through for you? December the 26th, 1973, for me as a 16-year-old teenager, on a Wednesday night service, youth service, over in what we call the fellowship hall. It clicked, and I finally got it. I needed Jesus. And I called on him. You know what he did? For whoever, even a teenage boy, who calls on the Lord shall be saved. But you know why I called? Because I believe he could save me. You know why I knew he could save me? Because I had heard the gospel. You know why I had heard the gospel? Because somebody announced it to me. Though they announced it numerous times to me, it took a while. They were announcing it to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of, the, of, the, the word of God, the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and I heard it and I heard it and I heard it. And thank God that, under, that individual understood they were couriers of that message to say it over and over and over and over again. And that's your task. Surely you want to live for more than what you get back from the IRS. Or maybe I should say what you have to pay to the IRS. Surely you want to live for something more than your kids and your grandkids are going to fight over after you're dead and gone. Surely you want to live for something more so that when you get into eternity, you've laid up treasures over there. Do you understand What's eternal? It's you. It's people like you. You're going to live. People are going to live somewhere forever. In heaven or in hell. They're going to live somewhere forever. That Mercedes isn't going with you. I don't even know if that's a popular car anymore. I don't know. I still drive a Ford. I don't know. I don't know if that's popular. A Jaguar. A Maserati. Oh, I got a garage full of cars. You think you're going to stand before Jesus one day and say, look at all those cars, Jesus. Man. Jesus is going to say, man, look at those cars. You got those antiques. Did you restore those yourself? Your cars aren't going with you. Now, you might be in one when you go. (laughs) But your cars aren't going with you. It's only what you invest as couriers of the good news in the souls of men and women that's going to meet you on the other side. And yet, I'm almost through, and yet... We never ask our children, have you made yourself available to God that he might call you to full-time service? Oh, we've got it already figured out. We've got it already figured out. We want them to be a lawyer. We want them to be a doctor. We want them to be an engineer. Uh, we want them to be a school teacher. We want them to be a, a factory laborer. We want them to be, we've already got it, we got it mapped out. We want to make sure that they make good enough grades. That They're going to make good enough grades that they get the promised scholarship. We're going to see to it that they get multiple scholarships so we don't have any debt when we get through the end of college. And they're going to have that piece of paper to hang on their wall. They're going to have a great career. They're going to amass a whole bunch of the stuff of this world. And we never, ever stop and ask our kids, Have you even thought about offering your life to the Lord? Now, look, full-time ministry, everybody's in the ministry. Full-time ministry like I'm in is a calling. It's not a career choice. You understand that? It's a calling. I can't do anything else. If I leave here, I'm going to find some other place to preach. I'm going to find some other place to teach the Word of God. It's it's a calling. It's it's what's in my heart. It's what God has given me to do. I'm not talking about a career choice. You you can't be you can't be daddy called. You can't can't be mama called and daddy sent. You won't last if that's the case. Because trust me, churches are a mess. They are a mess. You know why they're a mess? Because you're a mess. It's a calling. (laughs) But why don't we ever stop and say, honey, do you want to be an engineer? You want to be a doctor? You want to be a lawyer? Honey, have you ever stopped and thought about how God might want to use your life? I'm going to tell you a story in closing. Don't put your Bible up. Tell you a story in closing. It happened 20 years ago in a field. Outside of Memphis, Tennessee, at a gathering of young people called One Place, excuse me, One Day. One day. 40,000, hear the words 40,000 seniors in high school and college students gathered in a field outside of Memphis, Tennessee. This is not Woodstock. Gathered in a gathering of field outside of memphis tennessee it had rained they got there to spend the night they slept under the stars or in tents as far as you could see there were porta-potties think about that you got forty thousand people you got to have a lot of porta-potties right and you want to stay as far away from them as you can until you absolutely have to have them as far as you can see there's porta-potties it rained so the grass is wet the ground is wet And on that particular day, this event was unfolding. It's a concert and preaching venue. A preacher stepped to the pulpit by the name of John Piper. And John Piper delivered what I think may be the best known, present day, best known, seven minute segment of any sermon. If I could have gotten a really good copy of it, I would have played it for you. But all the copies are sort of muddle they're not real clear so i'm going to read it to you lean into me class are you with me are you hearing me this, this, this we are to be the couriers of the good news that is our role you, you want your life to matter for something more than the temporal you get involved in the divine process And say, I'm going to be one of those that God uses to announce the message. And I will not neglect that responsibility. These are the words of John Piper out of the seven minutes of his sermon. Listen to it. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter. And then be willing to live for them and die for them the people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries and into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ or a high EQ. Emotional quotient, not like you do in a sound system, a high EQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You just have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. He continues, but I know that not everybody in this crowd, 40,000 of them, Not everybody in this crowd wants their life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you. You don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you just could have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement and quick and easy death and no hell... If you could have that, you'd be satisfied even without God. That, my friends, is a tragedy in the making. He continues. Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 single all her life she poured it out for one great thing to make jesus christ known among the unreached the poor and the sick laura was a widow a medical doctor pushing 80 years old and serving at ruby's side in cameroon the brakes give way over the cliff they go and they're gone killed instantly and i asked my people Was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that is not a tragedy. That is a glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest. Some of the young people have no idea what Reader's Digest is. It's a magazine full of stories and inspirational thoughts. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Quote, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30 foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. And he pauses. That's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. And he holds up his hands. Here it is, Lord. My shell collection. And I've got a nice swing, and look at my boat. That's a tragedy. Don't waste your life, he says. And again, don't waste it. Dear friends, a lot of us are wasting our lives. You're living for your retirement. You're living for your possessions. You're living for the temporal. When God has invited you into something that is divine, he has offered you and has commissioned you to be the courier of good news, good news that can change people's lives for eternity. If you have great influence You're using that influence, no matter what it is, to influence somebody to Jesus Christ. If you have a little bit of influence, you're using whatever influence it is to influence people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because humans are going to live somewhere for eternity in heaven or in hell. In your shell collection, it isn't going to matter a hill of beans. And your kids are going to argue over your property and over your cars. Don't waste your life. I don't know what I'll be doing 10 years from today, but I guarantee you, if God gives me breath in my lungs, I'm going to be doing something to bring somebody else to Jesus Christ until I breathe my last breath and I pray that in my last breath I'm inviting somebody else to come to Jesus Christ. Why? We've all been commissioned as couriers of the good news. They can't call on him if they don't believe in him and they can't believe in him if they haven't heard of him and they can't hear of him if there aren't couriers who are announcing it and they won't announce it if they aren't sent. But dear friends, you have already been sent. question is are you going to speak